Amen. Oh, you get the whole thing. <laughs> Don't read ahead. So, so um, how do you all feel about waiting? <laughs> um, we all do an awful lot of waiting, don't we? Um, a child waits for Christmas or for his birthday or for waiting to hear some, some, special, or to some special event that his mom or dad are going to take him to. Um, we, we wait to hear news for someone we're concerned about. We wait for a job, for a test report or the birth of a child. Um, for a financial deal to go through or some important prayer to be answered. Right now, we're all waiting for a pandemic to pass or for the development of and distribution of a, of a vaccine. We're all waiting for life to get back to normal. Sometimes, waiting is very hard. And truthfully, we're not most of us very good at waiting. But God makes us wait. And to our shame, we sometimes make God wait too. It's not something to think of lightly or a small mercy. That To realize the amazing thing is that God is so patient. Um, now, let's look to the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 30, beginning at verse 1. Isaiah chapter 30. If you take your Bible and you just crack it in the middle, you usually end up in Isaiah. Um, So this is chapter 30 of Isaiah. I'm going to read the first 17 verses. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they add, may add sin to sin, who set out to go to Egypt without asking my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, and seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame, and the shelter Uh, in shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. For though his officials are at Zoan and his envoys reach Hanus, everyone comes to shame through a people that cannot profit them, that bring neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. An oracle on the beasts of Horeb, of the Negev, through a land of trouble and anguish, From where comes the lioness and the lion, the adder and the flying fiery serpent. They carry their riches on the backs of donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to a people that cannot profit them. Egypt's help is worthless and empty. Therefore, I have called her Rahab who sits still. And now go, write it before them on a tablet. Inscribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. For they are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, 
who say to the seers, do not see into the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right, speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions, leave the way aside from the path, let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you like a branch, uh, like a breach in a high wall bulging out and about to collapse, uh, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant and his breaking is like that of a potter's vessel that is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shard is found with which to take fire from the hearth or to dip up water out of the cistern. Well, there is a sorry story to be sure. And all too familiar, the context is um, that of the apostle excoriating uh, the Judean king Hezekiah for his diplomacy, his efforts of diplomacy with Egypt, seeking their assistance against the threatening armies of the Assyrians, 701 B.C. Israel, the chosen son and daughter of the Lord, has preferred Israel, uh, rather Egypt, to the Lord. They prefer the protection and the shelter and the shadow of Egypt. The nation, remember, that it enslaved them, uh, and from which God had miraculously uh, delivered them, they reject all that. They prefer that uh, to, to the Lord. And they reject their special covenant relationship with God and His promise to care for them. They send their gifts and their envoys to Egypt instead of uh, the Lord their God. And they will not listen to the prophets which God continually sent to them with His word. They completely reject them. They say to the seers, to say it again, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. In fact, their entire relationship with God has become one of a denial and deliberate rejection. Now, how do you suppose you would react <coughs> with that sort of Rejection. If your son or daughter whom you had born and saved and protected cast you away and rejected you for some unworthy, unreliable, fickle friend and over many years rejected your corrections and your entreaties and your pleas and friends and counselors that you sent to them to reason with them, in the end, after a long time, you might just give up and wash your hands of them, at least sorrowfully turn away from them and with perfect justification. But see how our Lord responds to all of this in the 18th verse. I stopped at 17. Um, now, I want to read 18. That's really my text for the morning. This remarkable verse of Scripture, Isaiah 30, 18. Therefore, in light of everything he's just said, therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Now that's amazing. What we might have expected to hear after all those verses in, in 1 through 17 would be something like, therefore the Lord is about to bring correction and punishment and rejection upon you. But no, instead we leave 
we read the Lord longs and waits to be gracious. We have a God who waits. We have a God who deeply desires to be gracious despite all of our sin and, and rejection. So there's hope for us. And there's hope for unsaved family members. Um, those, even those who have hardened their hearts and stuck out their chin for years, there's hope in these verses for them. Surely, there's hope for millions of others with a God like this. Um, who could have ever expected to be treated this way? A, a holy and, by a holy and righteous God. We don't treat people with that sort of patience and love. But here's a God who waits. Now, why is he waiting? Really, I don't altogether know the answer to that. But for some, he's waited a very long time. And in waiting, he's sparing you. If, there's, uh, if you're unconverted this morning, if there's a boy or a girl or a mom or dad, he's sparing you. He's sparing you because he longs to show you the depth of his mercy and the depth of his love. Maybe he's sparing you because he has some great purpose for you. But maybe, maybe he's sparing you so long so that you'll no longer have an excuse. So you'll no longer be able to say, you'll never be able to say on that terrible day, I never heard the gospel. I never understood how offensive my sin was to you. You never gave me a chance. I don't think anyone will have that excuse before a God who waits so patiently and woos us so graciously and gives us the, the gospel so abundantly. For some of us, he waited years. But how can he wait? How is it possible? For God to be so patient with us. Listen again to the verse. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. Now the word therefore used here in both the first and second sentence refers to his covenant faithfulness which he commits himself, by which he commits himself to show us mercy. That's part of the explanation. He's patient with us for the sake of his promise. He doesn't break his promise. Now we're all outrageous covenant breakers. We break God's promises. Uh, he's bound us to right and left. Uh, but, but God... Not God. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't walk away from this covenant arrangement that we broke, even though he has every legal right to do so. But there's a second answer. Not only does he, not only does this for the sake of his promise, but he also does it, and, and that's highlighted in this second verse. You need to look carefully at this 18th verse. It says there, <clears throat> therefore he exalts himself. To show mercy to you. Now, what does that mean? How in the world is God exalted by keeping his covenant so patiently? Showing such undeserved mercy to us. Such patience. Well, I think maybe you actually already know the answer to that. God has exalted himself by sending his son to save us. Christ was exalted on the cross and at the empty tomb and he triumphed over his enemies, even in death. Christ was exalted by being raised to the right hand of the Father in heaven where he reigns, where he orders all things, where he calls men to himself and prepares for his second coming. 
Listen to these familiar words from the Apostle Paul. Let these words sink into your ears. He's writing to the Philippians. He says, have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, Christ Jesus, referring to, though he was in form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, for that reason, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, tongue confess. The question is, how can God wait? How can God, with any sort of justice, be so patient with us and bear with us so long? And, well, the answer is, uh, because his patience is repaid by the exaltation of his Son on the cross. You see, God is a God of justice. And he is exalted by the humility and the obedience of his son by his cross work, which brought complete redemption for all of us. God is exalted through his victorious resurrection and his glorious, his glorious ascension and by his rule at the right hand of the Father. And he is exalted in this way too, as gathered millions of people uh, lift up their voices every Lord's Day the world around. So, God's patience should also move us. Um, my point C, uh, God's patience should draw us and move us toward himself. Uh, you should know that this word, uh, which in the English text is, is translated as wait, uh, is given in the original language as a part of speech called the PL imperfect. It doesn't mean anything except that. Uh, it's the force of meaning it is to lie in wait for somebody. God is lying in wait for you. I want you to think about Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. You all remember that prodigal, uh, that parable. It's found in Luke 15, verse 11, following Jesus tells his parable. It tells a story to help us understand that God is patient, that God is loving. Yeah, and so in the parable, you remember the, uh, the youngest son of this great landowner, he grows restless and he grows uh, rebellious and he wants to leave home. And so he and throw off his father's rule. And so he, he demands his inheritance, which his father reluctantly gives him, and he turns it into cash and he runs off and lives a riotous, wild life with his friends until he finally runs through all of his father's money and comes to ruin and hunger a uh, complete rejection of his father, and he's an utter disgrace. But his circumstances at least sober him enough to bring him to his senses and to a degree of repentance, and he determines that he's going to go back and return to his father and, and ask forgiveness and, and be received back as a servant, just a servant. And he even has a little speech that he's prepared in his mind. And he's prepared. He says, I will rise and go back to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I, I sinned against heaven and against you. And, um, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired servants. It's not much. But he's sincere about it. So he starts off ragged and dirty, dirty and finally come to the end of himself and thoroughly disgraced. But what Jesus really wants to tell us about in this parable is not about the son, but about the father. 
That's what we need to see in this New Testament illustration of Isaiah 30, 18, our text. The Father, we read, the Father, uh, while he, the Son, was still a long way off, uh, the Father saw him and felt uh, compassion for him. Those are not my words. That's how God wrote it. While he was still a long way off, the Father saw him. Do you get it? Don't you see uh, why the Father saw him while he was a long way off? Because he was looking for him. Because he was waiting for him. Because we have a God who waits. That's why. When everyone else gives up, God waits. Now, how long will God wait? I don't know. We certainly should never dare to presume upon the patience of God. That is a dangerous game. And we know there'll be an end to his waiting. There was end to the world in the day of the flood. And there was an end of God's patience in the day of Sodom and Gomorrah. God tells us in Genesis 6 that his spirit, the spirit of God, will not strive forever. That every man's days are numbered. Even a young child or the invincible teenager has no assurance he'll live a day longer. It's only by the hand of God's providence that any of us live on from day to day. And... and, and Every day, many end their, their lives. But God waits. He's so patient. But there comes an end to that patience on that day for which we all pray. And so, yes, God's patience ought to, to motivate us to come to Jesus and ask Him to save us or help us to follow Him more closely, to be more profitable servants and, and to be more fruitful disciples. But I want to move on in this text uh, and observe not only that, that God waits for us, that's my first point, but, but also that, that he makes us into a waiting people. Um, the verse says, let's read it again, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Blessed are all those who wait for him. The late pastor Douglas McMillan, thank you, Laurie Wilkie, for giving me, introducing me to this man, uh, once said, uh, they are waiting for him not to be blessed. They're waiting for him because they have been blessed. They're waiting, they're, they're waiting for God is actually a sign um, uh, that, that God's waiting has already borne fruit. Um, his gracious blessedness uh, has made a people blessed. Uh, have you been blessed in that way? Have you learned a measure of patience? God wants to make us a patient people who know how to wait on him and not rush ahead impetuously and, and impatiently and even angrily. Um, have you learned uh, that yet when a difficult time comes, there's only one to deliver, only one to rest in, and not to run off to Egypt, as it were, and not to trust in, in yourself overmuch or, or even in, in anyone else, but, of course, first and foremost, uh, in the Lord God. Patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, the Lord, the, God the Holy Spirit, delights in those who wait on the Lord in prayer and counsel and mature patience. Not so quick to speak, 
quick to judge, not so quick to blame God or quick to suppose that we know the right answer. The psalmist urges us, be still, therefore, and before the Lord and wait patiently on him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil desires and devices. When things happen in our lives, um, the way we would, uh, not the way we would like them to happen, or the way we think they ought to have happened. Um, when, um, when obstacles block our purposes and our plans, and when finances or, or health or the sin of others stop us, um, when God is trying our patience, it's deliberate, it's full of purpose. God is blessed with our patience. And we're blessed as we learn to wait on him and his purposes and places for us. And out of God's grace, point B, and patience, that should cause us to wait on others and to be patient with others. According to the traditional story, an old Hebrew story, it's not in scripture, I think it's probably apocryphal. But Abraham is outside, sitting outside his tent one evening when when the, um, he saw an old man, weary from age and journey, coming toward him. And Abraham rushes out and greets him and invites him into his tent. And there he, he washes the old man's feet and gives him food and drink. And the old man immediately begins eating without saying any sort of prayer or blessing. So Abraham asks him, don't, don't you worship God? And the old man replied, I worship fire only and reverence no other God. Well... When he heard this, Abraham became incensed. And he grabbed the man by the coat and the shoulders and he threw him out into the, into the cold night air. Well, when the man had departed, God called to his friend Abraham and asked him where the stranger was. And Abraham replied, well, I forced him out because he didn't worship you. And God answered, I've suffered with him these 80 years, although he deliberately dishonors me. Could you not endure for him one, endure him even one night. Surely, uh, God's patience with us ought to make us willing and desirous to be patient with others. Even those who don't deserve our patience. What do we know about deserving? We know what we deserve, but God is patient with us. And if I can say it again, that should give us great hope. The fact that we have a God like this, a God who waits who has waited patiently for us and his people over the ages, shouldn't give that give us hope for others uh, for whom we are waiting? It's not unusual for someone to ask uh, that we pray for, as a congregation, for some unsaved loved one, husbands or wives or, or children or neighbors. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells us, uh, the Lord is patient towards you, not not wanting any should perish, but all should reach repentance. And again, he tells Ezekiel, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather desires they should turn and live. And here in Isaiah 50, or 30, he reminds us so wonderfully and clearly that our God is a God who waits. Which means there's great hope for those for whom we wait. For we know that only God can give them an interest in Christ. Only the Lord can turn their hearts back home like the prodigal son. Only God can save. So be patient and pray. Do what God gives you to do and calls you to do and 
puts before you in his providence. Maybe you feel like, like um, that's not very much. There's not very much you can do. But we must be patient and do what we can. God desires us to be a people of patience, wise and awaiting people. And what a, what a wonderful verse to meditate upon, especially this morning as we all are warned that we may be entering into a long, dark winter of coronavirus. Uh, lamentable news, sad news, it's true, but may God use it in our lives. And Listen one last time to the text. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is the God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. God isn't the way we think he is at all. <laughs> and, and, and can't we see that in this verse? He's waiting to be gracious. What a God. What a gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, these words that you gave us. Lord, they, they, they fall together with many other things we read in your word about what you're like. And you are a patient God. You're patient with us. How amazing. Lord, we lose our patience so quickly. But you, who have more reason to be impatient than anyone could ever imagine, you are patient. We thank you for that loving patience and we pray that you would make us to be a patient people in the midst of our impatience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.